Welcome to the Azure for Industry podcast. We're your hosts, David Starr and Paul Marr. In this podcast, you hear from thought leaders across various industries discussing technology trends and innovation, sharing how Azure is helping transform business. You'll also hear directly from Microsoft thought leaders on how our products and services are meeting industries' continually evolving needs. Vamshi Komaneni is a principal program manager for Azure Storage at Microsoft and is talking with us about Azure Storage Solutions. This is the second part of a two-part interview, so if you've not heard the first episode, you can go back and listen to the one on Azure Storage with Vamshi to get some context before returning to this episode. Vamshi, welcome to the show. It's great to have you back. Hey, thank you, David. It's great to be back. Now, our first episode focused on what Azure Storage is, what Data Lake is. We even talked a bit about high-performance computing. And today, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into how various industries are using Azure Storage, although you did give a couple of examples already in our first episode. We're going to click on that, too. So for the executives considering data storage technologies who might be listening On Azure, what qualities of service and safeguards do we offer as part of these products? You know, the illities that we tend to talk about. Yeah, happy to dive into those. Um, And, and, you know, when we talk about storage all up, we tend to focus on a few different parameters. Uh, I'll list them out and then kind of double click into each of them. You know, uh, first and foremost is security and compliance. Uh, If you're going to store your data in the cloud, you really need to know that the data is secure and compliant. The second thing for any data storage system is durability of that data and availability of it. Uh, We also then get into scalability and and performance. We also talk about openness and interoperability uh, of that data and integrating it with the various analytics systems or other systems that allow you to get insights from your data. So let me kind of, uh, you know, dive into each of these. Um, start with security. You know, one of the core things for security is encryption. You want your data to be encrypted in transit. You want your data to be encrypted at rest. Uh, and we provide some very solid capabilities around that. Uh, we use uh, AES 256-bit encryption by standard at rest. Uh, you know, it's, it's FIPS 140 compliant, all the, all the compliance uh, associated with that. Uh, we also encrypt the data in transit, so you can use an HTTPS endpoint for blob storage, and you can actually turn off the HTTP endpoint, so there's never any uh, insecure data ingressing or egressing out of your storage system. Uh, you can use your own encryption keys. You can use our um, key management service, Azure Key Vault, uh, and, and supply us a custom encryption key, and we'll encrypt your data uh, at rest with that key as opposed to our you know, Microsoft's uh, own system keys. Another important aspect of security is, is, the, is the ability to have access control, um, you know, and, and have auditing and, and, uh, and, and the right set of safeguards around who can access the data. Azure Storage integrates with Azure Active Directory authentication, so it gives you all the power and flexibility of an Active Directory sort of groups and identities and our uh, our back 
while uh, still kind of working at the scale that you'd expect, uh, you know, petabytes or tens of petabytes of scale. Uh, and the way we uh, we do this is by kind of natively integrating with Azure uh, Active Directory and allowing you to have the same identities that you use, let's say, in your Office 365, um, you know, deployment with uh, with Azure Storage. Um, if you have untrusted device scenarios uh, where you're having mobile devices or IoT devices uploading uh, data, we have delegated authorization. So your devices and uh, sensors can come up, ask for a delegated authorization token, uh, and and have very limited write access or read access to a portion of your data set. Uh, and even those, uh, you know, interactions can be logged and audited with the IP address, with the resource being accessed and all that. So it's this sort of uh, combination of, you know, encryption, access control, including for untrusted devices, and then the auditing against all of that, right? So we have the ability to kind of push logs around all of these things and have those logs be analyzed. So all of the, you know, enterprise capabilities you expect around, uh, you know, your data on premises, we're able to provide them in the cloud. Uh, then moving on to durability and availability, you know, if a storage uh, system loses your data, it's not a very good storage system. Um, so that's a, sort of a very core tenet of our system. Uh, and, 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 you know, if you think about it in sort of how many nines of durability do you have, you know, our sort of lowest available form of durable storage uh, has 11 nines of durability, right? It'll, it'll, we make at the least three. Yeah, 11 nines. And that's the lowest redundancy. We can go up to 16 nines. Uh, and the idea there is, you know, you can go from having data in a single data center, but erasure coded across multiple racks so we can survive a disk failure, a, you know, machine failure or a rack failure all the way up to geo-redundant storage where we keep your data in, you know, in six different zones across two different geo-regions, uh, such that even if you have a major uh, disaster like an earthquake or a hurricane or something, your data is safely replicated within the same geo-boundary uh, to another data center usually hundreds of miles away. Uh, and, and we do all of this, and, and, you know, data residency is an important concept when you're doing this because, we build our data center regions or Azure regions uh, in pairs. So, you know, you have the Azure Azure Canada region and there's two data center regions there. You know, you have many, many regions in, in, in the US and in Europe. Uh, and again, the idea is that we, rep, you know, we respect um, data residency and geopolitical boundaries. We have enough data center regions to give you that geo-redundant storage in every region that we operate in. Uh, availability is the is sort of the complement to durability. Uh, you, your data, you know, if it's very durable but it's not very accessible, is not super useful. Uh, we offer um, high availability against the storage as well, uh, and and the ability for you to not just access your primary copy of your data, but that geo redundant copy of your data can also be used for data availability. Switching gears to scale and scalability. Uh, one of the things about cloud storage is that you really can scale as you need to, when you need to, and pay for only the amount of scale that you're using. Um, and that's something that obviously Azure Storage provides. And you know whether it's you know you're writing a few 
you know, tens of megabytes or you're writing, you know, 50 petabytes, you can just sort of ask for that storage on demand and we'll supply it to you. You can also ask for throughput on demand or transactions per second uh, for a high transaction system. Uh, and, you know, and we'll, we'll dynamically detect those, that those load factors will scale out your data and serve your data across hundreds or even thousands of machines uh, and, and will dynamically scale up and will dynamically scale down. So you don't really have to do anything other than let your users use the source system uh, and, and we kind of move all of that around for you. Similarly, we talked a little bit last time about the HPC high-performance computing. Scalability also for us includes scale-up. You can have a single object uh, and we can do tens of gigabytes per second of throughput against that single uh, object or file um, or many, many, many transactions per second. And we're, we do the right thing, the smart thing around you know, uh, distributing your IOs across machines and then coalescing them later or caching data if it's a, in thousands of VMs reading the same data file over and over again. Uh, we can kind of go cache that in memory and all of that happens completely seamlessly. So that's sort of scalability and performance. Uh, and to give you a sort of a sense of the sheer scale the platform operates at, as of fairly recently, you know, if you just kind of, we're talking for 20 minutes, I think, in, in this episode, in just 10 seconds, uh, Azure Storage will process more than 1.4 billion transactions. It'll ingress and egress more than 100 terabytes of data. And we grow our object count by about 15 million new objects. And that's in just 10 seconds, David. That's fascinating. Absolutely. So it's, it's, it's really fun working on a system like this as an engineer. Uh, it's great to be able to learn and use and operate and build systems at this scale. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the last two illities, the uh, cost effectiveness and uh, openness and interoperability. Cost effectiveness. So if, if we do all of these you know, great you know, uh, capabilities around durability, security, and scalability, uh, you know, but we do it at a prohibitive budget that doesn't uh, work either. Uh, and indeed, one of the promises of cloud storage has been that your price always goes down over time. And that's been true for the entire decade plus that we've been in existence. Uh, you know, there's another couple of uh, core points there. Uh, when you're running an on-premise storage system, you spend an inordinate amount of time planning for migrations and looking at uh, you know overlapping hardware purchases so you have time to move your data from one system to the next uh, thinking about cost uh, you know large capex investments and sort of cost benefit trade-offs when you buy those new systems every three to five years with Azure storage you you know the the first time you migrate into Azure storage is the last time you'll ever migrate your data uh, and the reason for that is we handle all you know, upgrades internally and completely automatedly and seamlessly, right? So we're moving hardware generations too, but we're doing it in a way that sort of normalize, you know, the performance and scale that you get is not dependent on hardware generation. And we don't, you know, incur any downtime when we move data from one cluster of storage hardware into another newer cluster of storage hardware. So from your perspective as a customer, that's a huge you know, costs and time and headache savings, to not worry about it. Uh, and the last aspect of sort of cost effectiveness is, uh, you know, we've done 
sort of, you know, a lot of listening to customer requirements and have a number of different storage tiers now, ranging from those very hot premium blob tiers where you get, you know, single digit millisecond latency um, and very, very high transactions per second, very high throughput, all the way down to offline archive storage where you pay, you know, something like about a dollar a terabyte, less than a dollar a terabyte a, a month. Um, so you can, you know, spend less than $10,000 a year for a petabyte of data. Uh, so that's kind of, get, you know, starting to get more to that uh, vision, you know, our customers have of, you know, I want to store everything and I want to store it in the same namespace, uh, but I want to store it cost effectively. There's a bunch of data I don't need uh, except when I ask for it. And then there's a bunch of data that's very high use and I want it in a, in a hot tier. I want to be paying less for transactions and throughput there. So that sort of gamut of capabilities gives you cost effectiveness. Yeah, that, that cool tier sort of is harkening back to regulatory compliance, I would imagine. In many cases, we need to keep data around for a certain number of years even to be compliant to certain regulations. Absolutely. So you look at, uh, you know, financial records, you look at uh, healthcare records and mm-hmm. customers will say, hey, we probably never need to access this data again, but we need to keep it around for seven years, in some cases, 30 years. You know, our automotive industry customers have said, you know, for as long as we have even a single car on the road of that model year, we have to keep the data around the safety and security testing for those automobiles, right? And, and that might be some, you know, unknown number of years. So in all of those cases, you know, moving that data to the archive tier uh, and then having a very, very low uh, total cost of ownership uh, per year is, is critical for those compliance scenarios. So, uh, yeah, and then the last illity uh, is openness and interoperability. And, and, and this is equally critical because you have to have access for the data in a compatible way to the different kinds of systems that process and operate on that data. Uh, a good example of this is the protocol that you use uh, to get at your data. We, you know, we've been talking a little bit about analytics and data lake storage. Uh, one of the things we enable natively with the platform is the ability for these analytics systems to treat object storage as if it were a HDFS or Hadoop compatible file system. Um, similarly, we have you know the ability to use uh, object storage as if it were a, a mounted device on, on a Linux virtual machine, or if, you know even to have NFS version three capabilities, which so just a share that can be used even though it's object storage. And we do all of that translation such that you and your applications don't have to. You know, we don't always have the luxury of rewriting our applications from scratch, but we want to use the new capabilities of the new storage systems uh, and our interoperability on protocols, our interoperability on tools, interoperability on programming environments, uh, all of that gives you that openness. Uh, another good example here is, you know, our SDKs. Uh, all of our SDKs, you know, you know, we have SDKs across a mon- m- bunch of different development platforms. Uh, the four major ones being .NET, of course, uh, Java, Python, and Node.js. And then we have a lot of other ones like Go and Ruby and PHP and others. Uh, one, you know, you don't have to kind of write the REST API code from scratch. You can just use our helper libraries. Two, all of our libraries are open source uh, on GitHub, 
such that you can kind of go in, look at the code, audit that for your own needs, uh, or even submit pull requests. If you're trying to make changes, you're trying to fix bugs or extend capability, uh, our developers, you know, are, are the ones who look at all of those um, GitHub repos and, you know, we directly develop against them. So we're always happy to work with our customers uh, and, and incorporate uh, new uh, functionality and features. So we talked a little bit around some industries that have brought problems to you. Uh, what other functionality has been driven by specific requests to enable scenarios? So, for example, I can think of things like maybe healthcare genomics data or financial services. And we talked about the data that needs to be held in perpetuity for quite a long time. Uh, what other industry scenarios are driving feature sets and how do you work with partners and customers directly to find that out? Great, great question, David. Yeah, let me you know kind of use a few specific examples to highlight your question, sort of answer your question. You know, one of the things that we've learned over the years is we really need to work with our customers and the partners who serve those customer needs in those industries in a very direct hands-on manner as an engineering team because the you know we're storage engineers uh, but our customers and partners have vastly more domain knowledge and sort of how they want to apply our storage technologies to solve their problem and that sort of you know spirit of working collaboratively is what has led us uh, as we talked in the last episode um, to a bunch of different platform improvements so in particular, you know, we, we go out of our way to work with our, you know, developer and IT pro colleagues uh, in, 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 in our, uh, you know, industry companies, as well as with the software vendors that write software for those companies. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. You mentioned genomics. Uh, you know, we have a partner there named DNA Nexus uh, that's been working with us over the years in terms of providing a genomics platform. Uh, and, and, and genomics capabilities, uh, you know, kind of a cool example around this. And the one that I'm particularly, you know, is memorable to me even a couple of years later is uh, we did a project with them uh, with St. Jude's Children's Hospital, where basically, you know, we, we built this joint partnership and sort of very hands-on collaborative work across the three organizations to be able to store and analyze you know, petabytes of pediatric cancer genomics data. Um, so, you know, that that was uh, very, very satisfying. And, and, you know, and more interestingly, St. Jude's was trying to do this because they wanted to support data sharing and collaboration among research scientists working on the same kinds of pediatric cancer worldwide. Uh, and, and it was sort of that combination of their interest and their data set, uh, as well as DNA Nexus's capabilities and the cloud, uh, you know, scale and reach that Azure was able to provide, those three things came together in a really nice way, and that's uh, that was a good project. In other areas, you know, we've been talking a lot about analytics and data lakes. There's a couple of great examples there. Daimler uh, built in, uh, you know, analytics, their new analytics platform uh, on, on top of Microsoft Azure. It's called uh, Extolo. Uh, and they use it to run analytics uh, and machine learning workloads and projects. Uh, and it, it really sort of helps them serve their internal customers 
uh, you know, they can meet all of their analytics needs. All their different business groups have different analytics needs, but they can be one sort of centralized security and, and auditing and other principles around data uh, security and data residency. So the Extolo platform built on top of uh, Azure Blob Storage and the analytics data lake storage capabilities there uh, is another great example. Uh, even when you look at data uh, that's coming in from many, many disparate sources, um, you know, that's that's kind of a, a good capability as well. Uh, Starbucks, for instance, uh, built an integrated data platform uh, on Azure where data engineers and data scientists uh, collaborate, uh, you know, together to build business insights and leverage advanced analytics capabilities. So this is, uh, you know, they use this data uh, and they, they use the system they built to really improve their marketing, forecasting, supply chain capabilities, you know, loyalty programs. Many of you are probably familiar with Starbucks and, you know, using the Starbucks app, personalization, uh, fraud detection. So there's a lot of different use cases that were enabled with this underlying uh, enterprise data platform that they built on top of Azure Storage. Uh, so those, those are just some examples, uh, David, of... Uh, Places that, you know, just that hands-on collaboration, partnership, uh, and really striving to understand what problem is our customer trying to solve uh, leads us to good outcomes. You're right. Those are great examples. And now let's take a moment out to listen to this very important message. Did you know the Microsoft Commercial Marketplace allows you to find and purchase leading Microsoft certified solutions from Microsoft Partners? The Microsoft Commercial Marketplace includes Microsoft App Source and Azure Marketplace. Each storefront serves unique customer requirements and different target audiences, so publishers can ensure solutions are available to the right customers. For applications that integrate with Microsoft 365 products, visit appsource.microsoft.com. Get solutions tailored to your industry that work with the products you already use. For B2B Azure-based solutions, visit azuremarketplace.microsoft.com. Here you can discover, try, and deploy the cloud software solutions you want. This next one, Vamsi, might seem like a little bit of an obtuse question, but it's something that comes up a lot when people talk and think about really moving data to the cloud for the first time, large quantities of data. How are our customers moving those large quantities of data to Azure and doing so in in a secure manner and doing so with some degree of, of speed, right, rather than this taking days of migration for, for many of our customers? Yeah, no, that's a, it's a great question, uh, David. And, yeah, you know, if you don't kind of tackle those fundamental questions of, you know, data ingestion uh, in a scalable, cost-effective, uh, secure fashion, you don't really get to get all the benefits of, of uh, having your data in the cloud. This is an area we've invested uh, a lot in across different facets. And let me kind of highlight a few things there. A common use case for these kinds of data ingestion scenarios is limited bandwidth uh, and, and not having um, enough bandwidth to ingest large quantities of data. So we have a set of offline uh you know, data ingestion devices called Databox. Uh, and, you know, it can be as small as a few external SSDs up to 40 terabytes of data uh, that you just ship to us in a small shipping uh, uh, box. 
uh, or all the way up to you know to a 50 pound box that it comes you know fully self-contained. You plug it in to your network, power it on, and you get an SMB share to drop your data into, and it's encrypted right there on on premises. Uh, and all the way up to you know uh, a heavy what we call a data box heavy, uh, which is a you know about uh, you know 700 pounds or so. You know it's about you know three feet by four feet by two feet uh, tall, uh, and that's something you can kind of wheel in or forklift into your data center, uh, plug it in and have, you know, tens of gigabits of uh, storage throughput uh, to offload a large, uh, uh, a large enterprise, uh, you know, uh, array. And you can have N of these shipped to your data center. So you can really kind of have this efficient pipeline of moving data. And we have customers who've migrated tens of petabytes of data using these data box technologies. The other uh, kind of uh, migration that happens often is migration from tape-based systems. Um, so in that respect, we have partnerships with a number of different uh, on-premises uh, tape vendors that can take you know different generations of tape, different software that was used to write the tape, and kind of build a sort of a custom agent ingestion project for you uh, and the partners range from uh, folks like Iron Mountain uh, to you know companies across the globe that can do this for you uh, and that's a common migration as well people kind of uh, accumulate uh, you know in some cases we have customers with three or four million tapes uh, that they're ingesting slowly over a period of years uh, into Azure and again you know this is one of those you know this is the last migration you'll ever do uh, that's one of the benefits of bringing it into Azure Archive Storage is you never have to deal with millions of tapes again. Uh, and that's such a huge statement that you just made. This is the last data migration I'm ever going to have to do. Absolutely. And I think that, you you know, especially the larger the data set, the larger the customer, the more fervently that the first time you realize, like, holy cow, like, I never have to do this again. I don't have to, you know, have an IT staff you know, sort of like that is capable of doing so much more, just sort of babysitting these, you know, very uh, mundane sort of uh, repetitive tasks. Uh, that's a big eye opener for folks to sort of be able to take their IT people and have them work on, uh, you know, tasks that add so much more value to the organization. Uh, the last aspect of network ingestion uh, is also, you know, having a better story for online network. Uh, you know, the ability for us to drop uh, you know, anywhere from a few, you know, tens of megabits per second all the way up to 100 gigabit link uh, into your on-premise data center you know, or your, your site uh, is something that, you know, we've spent years building relationships with telcos around the world uh, and connecting them up to our what's known as our Azure Express Route service. Uh, and using that service, uh, you know, we have some customers that we drop, you know, 100 gigabit ports, 100 gigabit links. Uh, onto their, you know, production facilities for, uh, you know, media studios or, you know, their uh, local uh, urban garage for some of our automotive customers where they're collecting large amounts of R&D data from uh, self-driving cars. We can really kind of meet the customers where they are with some combination of these three different technologies offline, you know, sort of tape-based custom ingestion or online network-based ingestion. So that was a great question, David, and I think that's something that's super critical and knowing what your data ingestion, data migration strategy is going to be uh, is, is something that's really important. 
And one last thing I'll ask you about along these lines, we've already covered things like fundamental security and governance, but how hard is it to get proper backup in place these days? And how hard is it to know that my disaster recovery policy is going to save my bacon when I need it to? It depends on what you're trying, what problem you're trying to solve, right? Like backup and, you know, con, you know business continuity and disaster recovery covers a, a bunch of facets. Um, if you're looking for straight durability and availability, I think the platform provides that to you in spades. Uh, and then you can sort of stop there. But most of our customers also say, hey, you know, I want protection against, uh, you know, ransomware. I want protection against, uh, you know, unintentional malicious tampering with the data. Uh, and therefore, I need, you know, uh, backup, true backup in a different you know, location, different system, different set of access controls. Uh, and we've, uh, over the years, again, tried to, you know, really have great capabilities around that. If you look today uh, at our block and file storage, uh, we have a service called Azure Backup. That's a full SaaS backup experience with just a couple of clicks with block and file storage, Azure Disks and Azure Files. You can um, set your, uh, you know, set up backup and have your data uh, be managed and protected against accidental deletes, protected against malicious intrusions with a SaaS service that you don't have to spend a lot of time or energy scaling or babysitting. Uh, we're taking that capability and along with uh, a bunch of new platform features in Azure Object Storage, even going to give you the capability to do rollback uh, and point-in-time restore and versioning and change uh, feeds with the object store. So no matter how big your data lake is, even if it's hundreds of petabytes large, you can say, go roll back my data to where it was last Friday at 2 p.m. Uh, and we have the capability to do that. Those uh, function That functionality is in public preview right now and will be going GA by the end of uh, 2020. Oh, that's a huge benefit. I can see how users would want that a long time ago. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's a it's a tough challenge when you're trying to do it at that scale that we operate at. But I think we've uh, over years of uh, engineering effort finally cracked the nut on it. And we're super excited to see how our customers use that functionality as they're experimenting with it in public preview. This has been an absolutely wonderful conversation. You've educated me about a lot more things than just Azure Storage. So I understand the story a lot better than I did coming in. And one thing I'll ask is if there is a place where you would like listeners to maybe learn a little bit more about you and your team's work, we can obviously have links to the product or products that we've discussed right there in the show notes. Are there other things that you would guide people to to uh, learn more? Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, having some uh, links in the show notes would be great. Uh, I'm not going to try to read those links off now, but uh, I, I think, you know, just go search for Azure Storage, uh, Azure Blob Storage, Azure Disk Storage, or Azure File Storage, Azure NetApp Files. All of these are, uh, are you know, part of a storage portfolio uh, that are really intended to give you uh, as, a, as a customer, as a partner, uh, as an industry expert, sort of really, you know, the right tools for to solve your problems. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'd, we'd, you know, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you know, there, if you have sort of questions, uh, feel free to email uh, the product team directly at uh, Azure Storage Feedback 
at Microsoft.com, and that, that comes straight to the product managers and engineers who build the product. Thank you. That's perfect. We'll get that link for email into the show notes too. So this two-part conversation has given me and all of us, I think, a great look into Azure Storage Services and the capabilities therein. And not only did we learn about the services themselves, but we heard how various industries contribute to the development and roadmaps for the products, how Microsoft engages with industry verticals to learn their needs and then come back and serve them through our products. Perfect. Bamshi, thank you so much for joining me here on the Azure for Industry podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Same here, David. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Azure for Industry podcast, the show that explores how industry experts are transforming our world with Azure. For show topic recommendations or other feedback, reach out to us at industrypodcast at microsoft.com.